welcome to the Fundraising Freedom Podcast with Mary Baloney. I'm your host, Mary Baloney, and this is the place where aspiring six and seven figure fundraisers come to be encouraged, empowered, and educated on how to raise more funds and have more freedom. So today we are in episode 134, and I am super, super excited because I have a guest with me, and our guest today is April Jurgensen, and she is the co-founder of the organization, The Boaz Project, and she's also one of um, my my students. So uh, welcome to the show, April. Thank you. Yeah. So excited to be here. <laughs> you know, I have been wanting to do an episode like this for quite some time. Now, over the course of these 104 episodes, I have brought on a few clients over that time, but I haven't had the opportunity to really dig in deep with somebody who has been with me for as long as you have. So I, I love that we get to have this conversation and just hear about your fundraising journey, hear about your cause. Um, and also April, if you've been following my Facebook feed at all, uh, you'll have seen that April actually just won an award for her book, uh, The Orphan's Abba. And so she won an Author Academy Award, which was also an award that I won for my book last year. And it sounds like everybody wins, but uh, but <laughs> it really is not the case. <laughs> so I'm, I'm super proud of the fact that, uh, yeah, we both get to share in that that incredible honor. So she got a chance to speak in front of hundreds of people about her charity. And it was just, I was, I had a proud like mama moment, even though <laughs> just seeing her stand on that stage and she just captivated the entire audience around her cause. And so uh, April, will you share with us a little bit about the work you do and just the background that you've had as the co-founder of your organization? Sure. So the work that we do is with orphans. We we inspire and equip leaders around the globe to care for orphans in their own communities. So a lot of the work that we do is partnering with the adults and equipping them so that they're able to be effective in how they take care of the, the kids who need it around the world. So it is not what I ever dreamed of doing. I think I'm like a lot of nonprofit leaders in that I kind of had my eyes headed one direction and God yanked me by the collar <laughs> and said, you know, this, this is, there's an urgent need here. And once my heart was captured for the orphan, my entire life was changed. So that's how yeah. the Boaz project started. Right. And, and when you start something like that, it's, I mean, how long have you guys been running your organization now? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, a good chunk of time to be committed. And, and you are spending a lot of time, you, you're based in the United States, but you guys spend a lot of time in what, Kenya, India, and Russia as yeah. your three primary locations. And so uh, when we met, we actually had connected, oh, it's probably been, I mean, it's been longer than a year, but it was just about a year ago that we were together at a workshop. And, yeah. uh, and so when we met there, you had raised up a personal missionary budget prior to that. And then when we met, you were you and your husband, the other co-founder <laughs> of the organization, um, that you guys were really dreaming about what could be for your cause. So tell us about the fundraising project that you've been working on this last year. 
We have called it Homes for Orphans, but it's basically providing housing solutions for specific children's homes in all three of the nations where we work. So the largest portion of it is in Kenya, where we're planning to build a three-story apartment building that will have individual units for house parents and the orphans they're raising. So in the area of Kenya, where we work, land is incredibly expensive. And so it makes more sense to build up. So in order to do the apartment building, of course, that takes more funding all at once than a series of tiny homes. I think in the long run, it'll be more cost effective, but it it seemed daunting, um, especially at first as we were considering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a year ago when we were together, we were in Nashville at that workshop and I just remember you and Jim walking up to me and just saying, yeah, we're, we're thinking about this. We're, we're dreaming about it. But yeah, you were kind of in that state. Tell me, just go back there for a second and tell us, you know, like where, yeah, where you were at. So when the Boaz Project started, we were coming from another missions organization. And so quite frankly, in, in our minds, the way you raise money is you send a letter. That's what most missionaries do for their individual support accounts. My writing, my degree is in writing. And so writing is familiar for me. It was comfortable. And so that's what we did. We sent a lot of direct mail. Now, I still am a believer in direct mail. I think it's a great thing. But one of the key takeaways that I got from you early, early on was, okay, there's a whole world of fundraising beyond that, especially if you're looking for a large gift. Nobody opens their mail and then sends you a check for 20 grand. It just doesn't happen like that. Right. (laughs) And so having our minds kind of opened to this other strategy involving a lot more one-on-one asks, including some events. We were doing events, but not really the right way. I'll just leave it at that. They weren't as cost-effective as they need to be to be worth all the effort and energy that we were putting into them. And so I, I think my biggest takeaway from everything, really, that I've learned from Fundraising Freedom Academy, in addition to, you know, you've got the whole strategy laid out, which is fabulous. And if you follow it, it's proven and you're going to get results. But for me, that it's the philosophical mind shift in that. And this is really interesting because we've had a lot of people kind of come up against this project that we took on because if you look at budget, it it would require us to almost double our annual income if we were to succeed in filling this campaign within the calendar year. And so they're saying, you know, have you run a feasibility study? Like that's not possible. You don't have the depth of pockets. You don't have access to those people. You don't have a wide enough demographic. But what you told me was basically, you've been working this for 20 years. You have people who love you and are behind you. They've never been asked. And I'm thinking, yes, they're asked for five times a year. We're always asking. But to your point, we hadn't taken on a project that's a half a million dollars. We hadn't asked 
her shots of 20, 30 grand at a time. So we weren't getting it. And even yesterday, we were talking with a consultant who, when he heard our plan, just kind of looked at us and again asked, have you, have you run a fe feasibility study? And he's looking at us like we're crazy. And I said, no, but we're 40% of the way there. Yeah. And he about fell over. He was like, well, good job then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. <laughs> you know, and you like just talking about the feasibility study real quick is that I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the feasibility study. And the only reason for that is because I think that especially when you're a part of a faith-based organization or, you know, any, any type of organization that, uh, you know, you just, like you said, never done it before. And so you guys don't even have any idea what people would be willing you know, to do. And I know that that's the whole point of a feasibility study is to start asking those questions and inviting people to even consider giving that amount. So I'm not like going to dog a feasibility study, but I just think that for you guys, you were, you had created this incredible, you know, group of people who wanted to support you and you had never gone down this path before. And so the way that I that I teach and you guys know this is that I'm all about building out a team and bringing people around you. And so I think that a lot of times the feasibility study doesn't give you a great gauge because you have never even tapped into the resources of that higher level donor. So therefore when you do your study, you're probably not going to be talking to the right people or people that are even going to be, you know, in your target market once you get going. So anyway, so I love that you were, willing to start have those having those conversations as far as like, is this even possible? Is this something that we could even consider doing? Right. And it was really a step of faith for you guys to say, like, let's do this. So what Absolutely. happened for you guys? Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. We're at 40% after six or seven months of working the program. We are entering the season where most of the giving comes in to a nonprofit. But I also look at it and say, okay, so if we're not at 100% by December 31st, like we really, I mean, that's our heart's desire. But if we aren't and we're at 40% or 50%, that's so much further than we'd be if we were sitting around doing feasibility studies and discussing whether or not we should take it on. Yes. And, and that second half is always easier to raise than the first half because you've got the momentum. You can show people that there are others who believe in what you're doing and believe that it's feasible. Mm -hmm. And when we start showing videos of the groundbreaking and the walls going up and the kids who will someday live there climbing over the construction, I just, I believe the money will come. Yeah. Yep. And you mentioned a program that I, that you're a part of and not many people on this show, like that have been listening, even know what that is because I haven't launched this program for a year. And so, uh, I'm actually going to be launching it as of today. <laughs> so I'll share, I'll share a little bit more at, when we wrap up our conversation, but, but that program fundraising freedom Academy, um, was one that I, I mean, I have been dreaming about this program for years before you even joined in on it <laughs> because I do believe that every 
every organization should have some sort of signature campaign, signature fundraiser, just to bring people around the table together. And so you took it, you took Fundraising Freedom Academy and you said, okay, we're going to go after this half a million dollars to build these, you know, this structure in Kenya to, to build out a campaign. You, you didn't just do one campaign. You actually <laughs> rolled out three campaigns and it yeah. really was all lo- looped together into one. So when you, you went through the entire process, uh, the reason why I, I mean, I just adore the work that you and Jim do, but I also love that you followed the process and, you know, building out a committee and inviting a chairman to come in. That is daunting task to ask somebody, Hey, would you put your name on this and be the chairman of this, you know, this event? And you and I bounced back and forth on that for quite a while, but what was the story of how you actually made the ask and, and had this, this gentleman come on as your chairman? Well, when I was going through the material and got to that section where we were talking about building out your team, it is daunting, but I, I could see the beauty of it that, you know, the organization's pretty much gotten as far as it's going to get using mine and Jim's contacts and even our little staff, you know, we've, we've kind of been there, done that and repeating the same thing wasn't helping. So I needed something different. And so I was willing to take your advice and run with it and felt that I needed to follow it to the letter of the law. So as you were describing what makes a good chairman, you want somebody obviously who's well-connected in your community, someone who's well-respected in your community that other people want to be associated with and hang out with. And I just kept, one name kept coming to mind. And once Jim and I discussed it together, we couldn't really come up with a plan B. It was kind of like, he's our guy. Mm -hmm. And so when we first went to him and asked him about it, he declined. And it was because he has his hands in so many good things that he didn't feel he had the capacity to take another one on. Not because he didn't believe in our cause or our strategy or whatever, but he just had a lot happening. Well, it just so happened that in that time frame, after his decline and before we could come up with anybody else to fill that role, our pastor offered me a 20-minute slot on a Sunday morning in both services, which first I have to say that's the first time in the life of the organization that's happened. Mm -hmm. And it was the next day I got an email from this gentleman saying, okay, God was talking to me while you were speaking yesterday and I can't I can't run away from this any longer. Like I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be a part of what you're doing in Kenya. So, well, and Russia and India, but again, the bulk of it being Kenya. And, and he said, so I'll do it. Yeah. And we were thrilled. Well, and okay. So I want to hit on something real quick on that because the very same thing happened to me with my half a million dollar fundraiser that I put on that a lot of times people say, Oh, it's going to be easy. That person's just going to say yes. But I'm like, you're asking for a half a million dollar, like leadership role. Like this is somebody who's going to lock arms with you and walk down this path and try and figure this out together to figure out how we're going to raise those funds. So the same thing happened to me where I was like, I knew who my chairman needed to be. Like there is usually somebody who's like, that just, they get you. They understand what you're trying to accomplish. 
they align with your values. Like there's all these things that you're looking for in that chairman. And of course I write about it in fundraising freedom, my book, but like, but once you know, and you start asking questions of your team, like, who do you think it is? Who do you think we should invite? And eventually somebody bubbles to the top and then they, they got to sit back though and really do exactly what your chairman did. Is this something that I can put my name to? Is this something I can dedicate my time to? So I just, for anybody who's listening, who's like, I've been struggling with that step number three. And it's like, how do I build out my team? You, you really, you just, you start asking people and you start, you know, really leaning into, and sometimes that person says no, but you know what? There's, you know, for your campaign, it is a building campaign for others. It might be a, a gala or some sort of annual dinner that you're doing with your organization. So there's always year two. There's always year three. Like maybe they just need a year to think about it and to let it simmer. And maybe they want to just see, you know, is this something that's actually going to work? <laughs> you know, everybody has a different risk tolerance. So, but I just want to give you a huge, you know, pat on the back for sticking to it and, you know, being willing to step out because you just, you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah. And so, I mean, what do you think, like just from your own personal experience, what do you think is holding so many nonprofits back? I mean, you ha have been in the shoes, those shoes, you are in those shoes. What do you think is holding people back from taking that next step in the fundraising space? I think there's two answers to that. The first one is really tangible and quantifiable, I guess. And the second one's more of a philosophical answer, but in the quantifiable area, and this is going to sound like heresy in the nonprofit circle, I think, at, at first. But I think we spend too much time focused on programming. And in a way, I feel like it's heretical to say that because it is, it is the whole point of what you're doing. But the problem is that you can't continue to do the programming if you're not paying attention to your donors if you're not nurturing them and growing them and investing in them, you're going to eventually die. And obviously, my motivation for everything that we do is so that we can serve these children who desperately need everything that we offer. But you've got to see that as the motivation yeah. to keep working with your donor. And, and I think for so many years, I was focused on cultural sensitivity in the nations where we work. And I was focused on attachment disorders and how to help kids from trauma. And, and all of that's phenomenal. You've got to have it. But if you don't also have the other hand working the other side of it all the time, you can't continue to implement all of those wonderful things you've perfected. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the, the quantifiable is just a matter of a lot of time. The philosophical, I would say, is that so many of us in the nonprofit space, especially leaders of nonprofits, are very pull your up by your own bootstraps kind of people. We are independent we are cheap, we, we figure the least expensive way to get something done and stick with it. But the truth is, you're going to get so much further in community with a leader who's gone there, been, you know, done that before and can show you the ropes. 
And one of the things that I love about Fundraising Freedom Academy, which apparently listeners will hear more about in just a bit, is the community that you've built. And it doesn't matter if it's a church or a nonprofit or whatever, communities follow their leader's personality. And so the community that follows Mary Valoni is very approachable, very optimistic, and they cheer you on. And, and that's been another aspect that's just been so encouraging because there are days when you look at the task before you and you look at, well, since the last time I was on this call, I don't have any more donations to report or whatever. And it's easy to kind of get down. But when you get on that call and somebody shares a new idea or claps for the fact that you're at 10% now, you know, whatever that milestone is, everybody's very eager to celebrate that with you. And again, I believe that's because they're reflecting your personality, Mary, but it, it does help you get further. And so this lie that I embraced for so many years and probably still do in a lot of areas that, well, we can't afford that. We can't afford coaching or courses or whatever. Um, we, were, we were big on buying books and trying to implement them on our own. And it's helpful, but you're not going to get nearly as far yeah. as you will in community. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm a student of that as well, that I, I believe so strongly in finding a coach, having a community around you, no matter what your goal is. And so like for anyone who has like a big, hairy, audacious goal, like building a building or, you know, increasing your operating expenses, like, or, you know, revenue to cover your operating expenses, not to increase the expenses, but you know, there's something about, you know, Gravitating, grabbing a hold of somebody, whether it's me or someone else, that can help you get to that goal. And you know, April, I, I love the the two sides of this because you know, really, program. I mean, that's that's why we're in it. I mean, that is why we run nonprofits. That's why we volunteer for them. Why we financially give to them is the program. And so, if the program is not doing what you say it's going to do, I mean, that obviously is going to impact your dollars as well. So, but, and, and we don't do this to go raise money. We do it to, to make a difference in the world through your program. So, but I, I love that you said it and I don't think it's heresy, <laughs> but I'm also, I'm also the de development director of those organizations. And so, uh, you know, people often say like, well, you know, aren't you in it for the program? And I'm like, of course I am, but I want to, I want to spend all of my energy on the funding because I know that if there's more dollars in the bank, that means more lives are going to be changed. So I love that you said that. And it's, it, it is clearly about balance. I would never say, well, neglect programming, it'll figure itself out. But I just know we were so lopsided as an organization, the amount of time put toward programming was, you know, like 95%. And then there's this 5% invested in donors and we're expecting them to keep us going. And that's just not, it's not even kind, right. you know, like just keep giving us money, just keep giving us money when we're not doing a good job of meeting their needs and telling them what life change they're creating and all of that. It's, it's a very selfish model when you get down to it. So it, I'm, I'm saying it needs to be more balanced. 
Yes. No. And and thank you for saying that because it is, it's, it's really important that you guys find that, that balance with your organization. Some organizations have the ability to hire out staff and, and to bring in somebody who can focus just on the money. But no matter how many staff you have, you're as the executive director, as the leader, founder, whatever of your organization, you are always going to have to have your hand in both the program and the fundraising efforts. So I love that. And then, you know, just the comment about nonprofit being very independent and uh, I don't know if I would use the term cheap, but frugal, <laughs> you know, very frugal. You can stretch a dollar to do a whole lot more than those business leaders out there. So, um, and, and obviously with volunteers and everything else, but I agree that there is something about like, you have to invest in your, your, you know, training in your personal development, in making sure that you're the best leader that you can be. So thank you for the kind words on Fundraising Freedom Academy because, you know, I we just had our call yesterday and I, you know, the group that had jumped on the call and not everybody can come every single week, but we are there. I'm there every single week because I believe it's important that there is that consistency. And like you said, sometimes it's just showing up and being reminded that, oh shoot, I should probably work on my fundraising. And so it's just this constant reminder, not a dog on, oh gosh, we didn't raise more money or we need to do better. But it is, it's like, oh, maybe there's that one idea that's going to come out of it. And on yesterday's call, I was just like, there were so many good ideas and you're going to have to catch the recording. <laughs> but, but and, and that's the thing, every call is recorded, but you have this community of people that are going to be there every week. And sometimes I have one-on-one -on -one calls with people because everybody else is slammed. And I always say, get on those fundraising calls. If you're going to, if you need to not be on the call because you're meeting with a donor, like take the donor meeting, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but just knowing that you have that recording. And so on yesterday's call, it was just so great because, you know, when you're feeling down and we're never always high. And I know sometimes even like me being on the podcast, I give you guys my very best because I'm showing up on the days where I feel like talking. <laughs> like I feel like, you know, sharing that inspirational message, but sometimes you don't feel that way. And as a nonprofit leader, you have high highs, you have low lows, and sometimes you're celebrating this great big win. And sometimes you're like, man, it sucks. And this is hard work. And so just to know that you've got a safe place. I mean, some of the things that you share in this group, I mean, tell us about like whether or not, I mean, would this be something that you would feel comfortable sharing with your board of directors or with your volunteers? Not always. I think it's hard to keep a board of directors motivated and energized to be part of the cause if I sound like a whiner. <laughs> If I'm always saying, well, I'm not sure it's going to work out and what do we do if it's not feasible and all those doubts that creep in. And then I'm saying, by the way, would you go contact 10 of your best friends and ask them for money? It doesn't work. Yeah. And so while I'm honest with the board in terms of where we are, I try to keep my private negative inner dialogue <laughs> to yeah. myself. But you're right that in a space like that, within the Fundraising Freedom Academy, I know that I'm among people who they've, they're there with me. They've experienced that wide gamut of, a, of emotions, which is why they're so quick to celebrate, I think, when we do have those victories, because they know what getting to 15% means, yeah. where sometimes your board is like, uh-huh, and where's the other 85%? Yes. I know. And you're like, come on, can we just celebrate the little wins? <laughs> right, right. 
And, and so I, I think that that's probably the two are married. It's the fact that they have shared the struggle that enables them to feel that sense of accomplishment with you. And, you know, you get to know one another. I mean, there are people in, in the Academy now that I understand their cause and their project and their obstacles. And so we are, we're, we're really cheering for each other and that's, it's a gift. Yeah. Well, and I love when, whether it's your website, whether it's your eight page presentation packet or building out your committee, I mean, as you're moving through the entire process, it's, it's been really fun to see how you guys are just, you know, you are honest and straightforward and saying like, Hey, I don't understand what your cause does. Like I'm a stranger looking in. And so being able to say, Hey, if you're trying to get me as a donor, you're going to have to change some of this stuff so that I can understand your cause. And who's doing that for you? Who's, who can give you that brutally honest feedback? Especially as an outsider, mm-hmm. because we naturally turn to the people who are with us and ask them for advice. And it makes sense to them because they already know the cause. They know the lingo. They know, but you're right. And, and, I feel like people have been very kind in how they address those things, but they also ask really good questions to get the right answer. And then you're like, there, 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 what you just said, that's what you need to put in writing because now I understand. It's so helpful. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it is, it's, it is a joy. I mean, it's so much fun. And, and like you said, I know that as the teacher, you know, of, of this group is that I'm naturally optimistic and I want to see that, you know, when, if you come in with that negative, like something is, is really down, like let's unpack that and let's figure out how we're going to get to a place where we're going to turn things around because you get so many people. And I know you and I have had this conversation where it's like, okay, like our chairman is now asking, like, how are we going to get that other 85%, you know? And so it is like, okay, let's pull out your packet. Let's start looking through what opportunities are out there. Who can we go knock on the door, the doors of, and just change things up a little bit so that there's new energy. Because trust me, I mean, I have done so many fundraising campaigns where it is easy to be like, okay, the goal is daunting. It's, you know, it's a lot. But I know, I, I just, and yesterday's call was interesting because, uh, you know, I, I brought up a conversation about how somebody had said to me, Mary, how do you know that this is going to work? <laughs> you know, like, because I often tell you, I'm like, go after that half a million, go, go get your building campaign. You know, I'm working on a $15 million campaign right now. And I'm like, let's go do this, you know? And they're like, how, how do you have that, like, you know, ability to say that this is even possible? And I'm like, because I've seen it, right. you know, and once you've seen it happen, you can't unsee it. So a lot of times I'm pushing that belief and that faith that it's like, there is somebody waiting for this opportunity to give to, and they have the, they have the same problem you have, except for your problem is, is on the mission that, Hey, these people are waiting for a home. And on the other side, they're saying, I've got this money in the bank, but I don't know who's going to be a good steward of it. Who's going to actually use this money the way that I intended it to be used? And so they're looking for that great partnership. So what I'm doing with you guys through Fundraising Freedom Academy is that I'm, I'm sitting there thinking in the mind of that donor that's sitting at home with this money in the bank. And I'm saying, you have to prove to me. <laughs> 
And it's not like you don't even have to sell me on a great cause. You just have to sell me on you're going to be a good steward. You know where every dollar is going to go. You know how you're going to spend my money. And that changes everything in those conversations. So, I mean, speak to that. Go ahead. Yeah, that's been another huge mind shift for me. I have always heard and coming from the missionary space, everybody says, you know, well, you're allowed to ask for money. It's their opportunity to partner with you on and on and on. I've heard this for years. But for some reason, as part of Fundraising Freedom Academy, this light went on because what I understood was not just, oh, they get to partner with me, but there actually are people out there with money who are passionate about some cause. It may be orphans, it may be education, it may be feeding the hungry, whatever, I mean... (laughs) Whatever your cause is as a listener, there's somebody out there who's also passionate about it. And if you can come to them and say, look, I have an effective way to take care of this problem and I can make it convenient for you to be part of that solution. Mm-hmm. They're ecstatic. And, and that's kind of mind-blowing to me, which sounds silly now that I say it out loud, you know? But for so many years, I was very sheepish about asking for money because somehow it still felt like it was for me or my cause or my... And even though I knew logically that that wasn't true, I was not pocketing the money to go to Tahiti, <laughs> it, it just... It still felt like, well, this is my kind of my baby, my cause. This is the thing I'm excited about. Well, there are a lot of people who are excited about it, who are eager to help, who just, quite frankly, I mean, we even asked our donors, what's, why do you help orphans? And they would say things like, well, I know I'm supposed to, or I see the need and it just moves me and I want to do something. And we say, okay, what's your biggest hurdle? In general, what's your biggest hurdle to helping orphans? And they say, well, I don't know any. Like, I don't know how to help. I don't know where are. I don't live on a street where orphans roam, you know? And so literally when we come along and say, well, you know what we do? Mm -hmm. We know 524 orphans by name and we know what they need. And this is the only thing you have to do is X, Y, Z. They're like... You know, my prayers have been answered. This is a great vehicle for me to do what God's put on my heart to do. And it's, it is, it's exciting. Ah, see, oh, so good. Yes, (laughs) that is exactly it. And, and that's, I know I've said it on so many episodes where I say, you are the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. You are the gatekeeper to a solution to a problem that other people want to help. You know, they want to be a solution to that problem too. But yeah, I don't know any orphans. Yeah. I I mean, I live in the city of St. Louis. I mean, like, I don't don't know. And, you know, and yet we don't call orphans the same. I mean, there is the foster care system in the United States. But but just the fact that, you know, you have a solution. And, uh, you know, and just by me being able to invest funding into that, I can be a part of that solution too. So really, it's beautiful. So, and so if you are, I mean, if you're like April, which I know so many of you guys are, because I've heard your stories over and over and over again, (laughs) 
<laughs> that, you know, you're like, okay, well, but how do we do this? How do we raise the funds? How do we make this happen? And so that's why, I mean, when I created Freedom Academy, it, it, truly was about giving you a step-by-step -step system so it didn't feel so overwhelming and daunting. So I do have inside of the program videos where I walk you through almost every single uh, piece of my book, Fundraising Freedom. I actually created a video for every single uh, part of the book so that, you know, in your own timing, you can walk through it. And so that's what April has done. I love that, April, you are such a great student and you have gone through those videos. I, I mean, some of our students have done it to a T, some not so much, but that's okay. I want you to be able to, to do what works best for you. And so, but this Thursday, this coming Thursday, so if you're listening to it at the beginning of the week, this coming Thursday, Day, I'm going to be doing a free training. We're going to be talking about how to you put on a six-figure fundraiser. And I'm going to be giving you guys the tips that I share with April and other members of my Fundraising Freedom Academy. And I'll show, share more details too about the academy and how you can get plugged in. But if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my gosh, I would love to get the help. I'd love to hear more. Um, you can actually apply. And so how the process works is that when you apply, you just fill out, it's a 10 question application. And from there, if you're a good fit, which here's the thing, how to be a good fit is that you're raising over $50,000, okay? So I, I don't want anybody to invest in Fundraising Freedom Academy who's not really to the place where they're like, hey, we could actually get to that six figure amount. So I do wanna make sure that you're raising over $50,000 and ideally more into that $100,000 range. But if that's you and you think, hey, this could be, um, a good fit for you, uh, then let's go ahead and have you apply. So the, the link is just bit.ly uh, forward slash apply for FRFA. And so I'll have the link in the show notes, but bit.ly forward slash apply for FRFA. So that stands for Fundraising Freedom Academy. So, um, but from there, we'll, um, my assistant will take a look at those applications and set up an, a 20 minute conversation with me to see if you're a good fit and then I'll give you all the details from there. But uh, but definitely join us if you want to hear more. I'm going to be doing that uh, training this Thursday and it'll be at one o'clock uh, one o'clock central standard time. So one o'clock central standard time. And, um, I'm also going to be bringing on one of April's, uh, counterparts from that team. Um, I'm going to be bringing in Joel Furrow, who is, uh, the executive director slash development staff for his cause, the root seller. So you'll get to hear from him too, but I love that we got a chance to chat here, April. And, um, I just, I adore you. We got to spend time together in Columbus. We, she was a part of the workshop that we just did, uh, for executive directors in Columbus. And then we went to that Igniting Souls conference together and I got to cheer on her book. So before we wrap up, I want you just to share real quick about um, why did you write this book and how can somebody get access to the book, The Orphans Abba? The book really was birthed out of my 20 years of work with orphans because what I realized day in and day out meeting these children was that there's something about an orphan that resonates with all of us. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're a child, if you're, we've all known loneliness, we've all known vulnerability. And when I would see that these children, like I could relate to them, even though I've never been orphaned by any stretch, there was something inside them that, that I understood and that made my heart ache. 
But I also saw from, from the Bible that God, first of all, loves orphans. And secondly, he describes himself as a father to the fatherless. So as I started unpacking that relationship of how God says he wants to adopt us as his children, I saw that many of the things that are suggested for us to do to help orphans heal from trauma, help them attach to adults are the very things that God does for us, the ways that he loves us. And so science is just proving, you know, that that the way God loves us is effective in meeting our deep heart needs. And so this book is really just a multifaceted look at how God loves each of us uniquely and chooses us and wants to adopt us and he's waiting for our consent to that adoption. So yeah, awesome. And it's an award-winning book, <laughs> award-winning book. So it's on Amazon. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes here for the Orphans Abba as well. So if you want to pick up a copy and uh, read more of April's story and the work that she's doing, how do people hear more about the Boaz Project? They can go to Boaz Project, that's B-O-A-Z project.org and find out more about everything we do there. Awesome. And then if, you know, also about, yeah, your project and what you're doing um, in Kenya, Russia, and India. So, uh, so the boazproject.org, the Orphan Zabas on um, Amazon, of course. And then if you guys, once again, want to join in and apply for Fundraising Freedom Academy, jump onto bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y forward slash uh, apply for FRFA. And I'll have that in the show notes. But April, thank you for being a part of today's show. And I just um, continue to, you know, obviously, we're not going anywhere. I'm continuing uh, to work with you every single week. And of course, when you guys join in to Fundraising Freedom Academy, if this is for you, uh, you'll actually get to hang out with April. So no, no pressure. (laughs) I'm just gonna dangle that carrot a little bit because she's amazing. And every single person who's in our group is just incredible. I mean, doing incredible things. We've got, you know, another friend of ours, Dan, who's out in Romania working with orphans as well. But, you know, and and then we've got uh, Rags, who's in the middle of New York City in Brooklyn, helping the inner city kids who are, you know, dealing with um, just in the, stuck in the detention system, you know. So, I mean, just a wide variety of people, uh, health-related human services, all that kind of stuff, but um, really great group of people. And I consider it such a joy to be able to coach you guys through the process and to instill a little bit of that positivity and also, like I say, educate, empower, and encourage you through the process. So thank you, April. And if you guys need anything, don't be afraid to reach out. You guys know how to find me. But in the meantime, let's go change the world one volunteer and one dollar at a time. Have a great day. 